Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls. Here with you discuss now Chicago Bulls. My apologies for missing the show last week. Just got a, a little bit busy with work. Haven't really had as much time to focus on Bulls basketball, but I have sat down and diligently watched all the games, mostly the day after, here and there, in bits and pieces. And I think the last show I did was after the Orlando Magic game, which is not quite the perfect cutoff. I think the perfect cutoff would have been if I'd done it after the Wizards game. After that bad loss to the Wizards, and it wasn't like a bad loss, like they lost by 30. I mean, it was a close game, but they lost to a team that you would have expected they should beat. As, as much as a team like the Bulls, you expect them to beat anyone. Uh, you know, they're, they're kind of an average team. They're going to fall to, to bad teams sometimes. Uh, because they're not like head and shoulders above anyone, you know, at this point. But they're not really head and shoulders below too many teams either. You know, it's interesting looking around the league and the parity across the league. And the injury situation probably impacts that a lot. A lot of teams that might be better have been worse because of all the different in and outness of all the players and injuries going on. But it, it's really kind of a middle of the pack league. Anyway, going back to this Wizards game. Since the Wizards game, the Bulls are four and two, and the two losses came. Uh, to the Clippers, and to the 76ers. They got to avenge a couple uh, losses earlier in the season, beating the Pacers, uh, which is one of those early blowouts, and beating the Sacramento Kings. And you know, a few things have kind of stood out to me. One is, if you look at the Bulls' record with and without Lowry Markkanen, they've actually played quite a bit better without him than they have with him. Now, is that with uh, an issue with Lowry? Is it an issue with something else? You know, I, I think it's one of those things where I've said Lowry doesn't really move the needle, and when you're looking at signing him next offseason, if you look to give him a massive contract, I think you have to just be aware of that. Now, if you give him a Bertrand-like deal, like $15 million a year, I think that's fine. You know, I, it, I think it's fine. He's a, a guy who can definitely help you on one side of the court. He can space the floor. He can do some stuff that you need. Uh, but on the other side, I just, I just don't know that that is someone who's, you know, ever really going to fit in defensively. And his offensive prowess, as I've discussed before, without really creating a lot of shots, is, is not so massive. The, the Bulls do more work to get Larry Markin in a shot than any other player on the team. And I think that is really the crux of why Lowry is not moving the needle. And one of the things that's interesting about that is I think Kobe White, to some degree, you wonder if he's going to end up in the same boat. When we see Kobe White play well, usually it's because he's playing off the ball and someone else is doing some work to get him catch-and-shoot shots. And, you know, that's fine. If you're a catch-and-shoot player, though, that's not really that exciting uh, as, as a high-level player in the NBA. Like, if that's your skills, I can make catch-and-shoot threes, but I'm kind of lousy at everything else. Like, that's, that's not so difficult to find guys who can do that one thing. And so Kobe White's still very young, but is going to have to uh, show a lot more going forward. And it's nice to see him have a nice game against the Kings last night, but they're kind of few and far in between. And, you know, you really need to see him string some efficient games together, you know, pretty consistently. I think what we have seen so far is, at least at this point, he's not a point guard, and you're going to have to debate, like, how long do you want to keep this thing going? I'm still on record of give it all year. If you look at someone like De'Aaron Fox, he didn't look like a very good point guard after a full rookie season. So I think it's okay to give Kobe time. I don't think there's a really big opportunity cost. And the real interesting thing for the Bulls now is I think they're at this precipice kind of like of a decision. You know, if you go and you look at the Bulls' record and you look at the records of the league and you look at what's going to happen and you look at where all the assets are on this team, you know, a lot of different things going on when you're looking at the position of the group as a whole. 
And so when I look at that position as a whole, the Bulls are, you know, as it stands right now, they're in ninth place. They're half game out of eighth place. Uh, they're game out of seventh. You know, like it really, you're only two games out of fourth. You know, so that's how close you are. You know, even, even sitting in ninth, they're six and a half out of first. But two games out of fourth. I mean, that's like not very far, right? Like that's like a, a small win streak uh, to, to get in, into these kind of like middle seeds of the Eastern Conference. So it shows you really the Eastern Conference is either not that good or simply that it's just so many injuries and COVID outages and whatever else you want to say that like the, even the good teams, they're so disrupted, they're not able to, you know, create any separation because no one can keep a consistent lineup on the floor. And, and the Bulls have been part of that too. You know, we've been missing everyone but Zach Levine, which is fortunate because he's the best player on the team. But everyone else, like, has been in and out. So, you know, the Bulls are not immune to that either. But anyway, you're a half game out of eighth, two games out of fourth. So, I mean, like, you know, a playoff run is not, like, out of question. You're in the playoff tournament as it is now. And then you look back down, though, and you're also two games away from the Wizards, who are third in the bottom in the East, and two games away from being the fourth worst team, oh, yeah, fourth worst team in the NBA. So you start looking at lot of odds, you're two games away from being the fourth worst lot of odds. So two from the fourth seed, two from the fourth worst uh, lot of odds. And, and so when you're trying to decide, like, man, where, where are we going here? What's the direction? Uh, and I think that's important because this is like a really dominant draft, uh, theoretically. Theoretically, this is one of those drafts where there's you got Cade Cunningham at the top as a can't-miss star, but you got like a number of other players who look like they can you know, be all-star potential type guys and kind of give you some long-term future around Zach Levine if you can get someone who really looks like a star long-term in this draft. Now, granted, we've heard that before. You, go, you chase the draft, and often you lose. You know, I've discussed now the lotto odds are so bad that it's really, really tough. If you have to strip enough talent to be bad enough to be at the bottom of the league, you know, often it's very hard for one pick to move you up unless that pick ends up becoming a superstar. And when you look around the league, I wrote about this for Bloggable a few weeks ago, a month ago, a while ago, way back. Uh, you know, most of the teams that are really good didn't get really good via just tanking. Like it's, it's very, very unlikely. And the odds were much better when the teams that did pull that off did it. So it's kind of a losing strategy. The only reason I would consider it, the only reason is based on what appears to be an extremely strong draft class coming in this year. Uh, where there's multiple talents that you would be interested in. And so if you feel that way, uh, then, then like, yeah, maybe there's a little bit something to that. But so now the problem for the Bulls is that when you look at the guys who are moving the needle and looking at why the team is so well, it's basically Zach Levine being amazing. And then it's Thaddeus Young and, to a lesser extent, Garrett Temple, and then hoping someone else steps up. I think Wendell Carter has actually looked really nice since coming back from injury. He's had some solid games. That start he had against Philadelphia before he got into foul trouble was, was like, amazing. I think it was 4 for 4 or 5 for 5 to start the game. I, I believe he had the first eight points for the Bulls and was just scoring on Embiid. And then he got – he had one foul call, which I thought was a little questionable. could have gone I – thought, I thought it was an offensive foul, but it went against Carter. And then, you know, a few minutes later he collected another foul, and then they, they sent him to the bench. I'm not sure how much he would have played anyway, but – yeah, he clearly didn't have foul trouble overall, only three on the night. Those two somewhat early ones, though, that, that kind of forced him out. But I thought, I thought he had a nice night. Uh, I think Carter's looked pretty good uh, since he's come back from injury. He's looked, looked pretty solid. But, you know, really it's mainly Zach Levine, Thaddeus Young, Garrett Temple, and, and maybe to some extent whoever else steps up 
and maybe it's even just Zach and Thad and whoever else steps up. You know, sometimes Kobe White has a good night. Sometimes Sadaransky has a good night. Denzel Valentine has chipped in uh, a few good nights. Wendell Carter has been pretty consistent since he comes back. But it's kind of like you got these two guys who are playing really well, and then everyone else just kind of does it by committee. You know, one night it's this guy, one night it's that guy. And so you're looking at that as a place to build your team for the future. You know, Thaddeus Young, solid player, really solid player, but not a future player, right? I mean, the Bulls got him for one more year, and that's fine. You know, you could keep him one more year, and I'm sure he'll probably be a pretty solid player next year. There's, there's really no reason to think he wouldn't be. But it's not like he's a guy you're going to build around for any length of time. You know, like, I mean, how many years in the league left do you think Thaddeus Young has? You know, at this point, uh, I just don't think he's going to have a whole lot of time left in the league. And so if you're looking at that, then it's like, well, you know, we can't really count on this guy. I mean, he's going to be 33 next year, maybe even at the end of this year. I think 33 next year. Yeah, no, I think he's at 33 this year. So, you know, it's like for a guy like him, he's probably got two, three more years. He can hang in the league. Uh, and he'll be declining over the course of those years, too. Now, he's such a cerebral player and such a good player. You know, he'd be a nice guy to keep around. But Thad Young, you know, as I noted, he's the Bulls' second best player, and he's the only one that really has trade value outside of Zach Levine. And I think that's an interesting thing to look at this year. If you start looking at the trade deadline and deciding what are the Bulls going to do this trade deadline, well, Lowry with the injury now, it's hard to imagine trading him. Look, I still move Lowry for anything I can get. Anything I can get. If it's a first-rounder, I'm in. I don't care how late it is, just give me a first rounder and Larry Markkinen is yours. Uh, I don't, I've been pretty outspoken. I don't think he's someone I want to keep. Uh, he's not a guy that his game, I think, suits the modern NBA very well. He doesn't have any versatility position-wise. He uh, doesn't create his own shot. You do a lot of work to get Lowry's points and he doesn't really give you anything else. So, so I'm down on Lowry. It's okay if he came cheap enough. And, you know, it's fine. Like, every player is his price. Lowry is a, you know, probably a starting caliber player. It, and he can fit into certain rosters, but he's not very versatile. And I think because the league overpays for points generally, that it's just his contract is, going to, is what is going to make me not want to keep him on the team. Not that his overall ability is so poor or so worse. You know, is it like, like I think he's a lot better than a lot of other guys on this team. Like he still might be the fourth best player on this team. But I don't think overall the way he, he plays is going to merit the contract I think he will receive. And so I just don't want to be on the other end of that. And, you know, just seeing this absence without him, like, I just don't think he makes any difference for you. I really don't. So, you know, if I can trade Larry, I will. But I think the injury makes it kind of unlikely that he's going to get moved for much. And I think, and I think the way, you know, Karnaschovas has been really conservative to start off his tenure as, as Bulls executive vice president. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to call it Karnaschovas or Eversley that's making these choices. You know, generally, I feel it's kind of kind of show us it's making them and Eversley is kind of doing the grunt work and the calls and trying to put together the packages and things like that but kind of show us is really the kind of final decision maker you know as, as I said in the beginning of the season what did the Bulls do this year they used their number four pick on a guy that I, I thought was a reach and still think was a reach and maybe get him later I don't want to upset anyone but I, I don't think Patrick Williams is anything special as a prospect after half of a, a rookie season granted you didn't draft him because you thought he'd be amazing as a rookie so he's got plenty of time seems like a good guy, but everyone seems like a good guy in, in the league when they first enter it. Like, you know, it's like a phrase you could use about literally every rookie. 
you know, go back across the Bulls' other rookies and you'd say, yeah, they all seem like good guys. Lowry seemed like a good guy when he was in his first year before you were contemplating paying him $80 million a year. You know, Kobe White, Wendell Carter, you know, they all seem like good guys. And they, I'm sure they all are good guys. So, you know, it's just like I don't want to overstate that as like something that's valuable. You know, when I look at his skill set, I don't know that he's so great defensively. Everyone thinks he's, you know, this, this defensive future stopper. Like, it kind of feels to me like every guy he goes up against has a career night. Like, I just, I don't know. He's, he's part of, like, all the really bad lineups in the team. He uh, doesn't create a whole lot. You know, I, I think he's fine as a prospect. I think he's got plenty of room to grow. Uh, shows some decent skills. But there's, like, nothing special about him that makes me think he's going to be more than a good player in the league. You know, maybe an above-average starter, but not a great starter. Sub-all-star for sure. You know, like, I, I don't see anything that makes me think this guy's a future all-star. And, you know, so that's who we drafted. And then we signed Garrett Temple, very solid veteran player, a very nice signing, very cost-effective, uh, given how much Temple costs the Bulls. has really helped the team a lot. I think it's been a great signing. And that's it. You know, that, but that, like, that, that is like a very Gar Pax type of offseason for all these people who hate on uh, Gar Pax. Like, that was a very Gar Pax offseason. Hung on to all the young players because he wanted to continue to evaluate them. If John Paxson said that, we'd have his head. And, you know, so he's had this very conservative start. The one good thing he's done is he got rid of Jim Boylan and he replaced him with Billy Donovan. I think that that was a, a great idea. And, that was probably the biggest mistake the old regime made in, in recent years. But otherwise, like, I don't know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. And, you know, I accept that maybe he's not as good at drafting based on, based on uh, what happens with Pat Williams. We'll find out over the years. You know, like, just so far, nothing exciting. And so you thought you'd roll in this trade deadline. That was a pretty long preamble. My real point, my apologies. So you'd roll in this trade deadline and we'd say, like, all right, we've seen the roster what's going to happen. And, you know, I was really big on, in preseason, if you didn't think a guy was right for your team, you just trade them then because their value could go up, their value could go down. And I swear, every single person who followed me on Twitter, <laughs> talked with me on Real GM, uh, replied to this podcast, said, you're crazy. Lowry Marketing's value is going to be way higher, way higher at the trade deadline this year. And I would say, well, you don't know that. He could play bad. He could get hurt. And here we are with Lowry Hurt. And what is his trade, deadline, uh, trade value going to be while he's hurt? I don't know, but probably not a whole lot. Probably not a whole lot. Like, we're coming up to it. You know, it's like, I, I just don't know. I don't think, I don't think you're going to get anything for him. And so then you're not going to be able to trade him, and you're going to lose him for nothing. So, yeah, maybe you wouldn't have got much in the offseason, but maybe you'd have gotten something. And now who knows? Otto Porter Jr., I said the same thing. Like, you know, I don't know that Otto could have been traded at any point, but same thing, like, yeah, guys hurt again, oldest 27-year-old in the world. Uh, you know, doesn't seem to give a crap about basketball. Really nice player when he decides to show up and care, but just doesn't seem to be his focus in life. Might not be my focus in life if I had $100 million either. You know, it's actually kind of insane when I think about it. Like, after a dude gets $100 million to still put in the massive amount of work you have to do to, to, be a, to improve your game and stay a star player, you know, it's like that, that is why character is so important and people kind of like sometimes they feel like, ah, people overstate that. But it's like, man, the motivation to keep grinding all the time once you already have like $100 million, like, I don't know, $500 million, but I think I just might uh, just, just start day drinking, get fat and 
you know, just hang out. Like, I mean, like, it'd be really tough to, to motivate myself to, like, like, still just do the best I could. You know, it's like, you know, and some, some guys are built where they're just going to do it because they're chasing whatever dream. And, you know, some guys aren't. And Otto Porter seems like a guy who's not. You know, maybe his, his health stuff, his body's just betraying him, and maybe he really does care super deeply but just can't. You know, I don't know. I'm not in his shoes, but his trade value is nothing. And so you look around, Kobe White, not really a great start to his second season. I don't think the Bulls would have traded Kobe anyway. It's really tough to trade a player on their rookie contract because, you know, usually unless they're playing outstanding, in which case you never want to trade them because they're so good, Teams are only willing to buy them if they're, you know, trying to get them on the cheap and, and give you less value. And so, you know, someone trading for Kobe White is going to be like, yeah, here, here's pick number 20. I'll take a chance on Kobe White. But we're not going to do that. You know, you're not going to get a better player than Kobe White for that pick. So you don't do that. And, you know, Wendell Carter kind of in the same boat, had the injury, missed some time. He's looking better now, but center's a little bit devalued. Like, I don't think there's a robust trade market for him. Same thing, like he's, he's probably worth more in future returns because he can be here than, than his value in the trade market is. And so the guys you could now trade really come down to Thaddeus Young and Zach Levine. Like, and I think Zach Levine, the teams that were willing to give someone a superstar package for a player like Zach Levine are just gone. Um, yeah, the team that wanted to go in for that, just they found their guy and they've done it already. You know, Lakers don't have any picks, the Clippers don't have any picks. Uh, 76ers, uh, just when they dumped Al Horford, they lost a pick in the middle, so they can't really give up a whole lot. Uh, maybe the Boston Celtics would be a team that would consider to go all in, but you know, Zach Levine is, is not a good fit there where they're, they're stacked on the wings. So I don't think they would, would do such a thing. You know, Maybe the Golden State Warriors would be a team that would consider it, but I, I think they probably are going to keep Wiseman. I mean, they've got Wiseman and that Minnesota Timberwolves pick, and I think that could be something that they could combine to, to put together in a package and do something. But in the end, I think Zach's not going anywhere. I think the Bulls are excited to keep Zach, as they should be. And unless someone came up with a massive, massive offer, and I just don't think one is out there, you should keep Zach. You should max Zach. That, you should max him this offseason. Use your extra cap room to max Zach. That, that's what that cap room is for this offseason. Yeah, bring him into the fold. So then the other guy is Thaddeus Young, and, and maybe this is really kind of the meat of the podcast, which took me a long time to get to. So Thaddeus Young has played outstanding, outstanding basketball. Any contender should love to have Thaddeus Young. And, you know, a team that sort of needs to, the shot in the arm would, would do, and needs a player his position would do great to have Thaddeus Young. And as I discussed earlier, Thaddeus Young is not long for the Bulls. I mean, it got him next year, and then after that, he's probably going to move on somewhere else. And even if he didn't, like, he's going to decline due to age. So, you know, Thaddeus Young is not going to be part of the next time this team is any good. And so if you can get something for him which is something that is valuable in the future, that really seems like something you'd want to do. But at the same time, Zach Levine just called Thaddeus Young the Bulls MVP. And you want to try to convince Zach to stay here. And Zach Levine desperately wants to make the playoffs. Like, even though, you know, as a fan and, and as a Mr. Robot and, and just me and Max are, you know, computer science guy, I can sit here and tell you, yeah, mathematically... You know, having Thaddeus Young for one year and doing a little better this year, but having him not help you in the future is not going to help you as much as doing this. But these are people at the end of this, and Zach Levine, as a person, does not want to miss the playoffs again and again and again and again and stay in Chicago. He needs to get to the playoffs. And if you trade Thaddeus Young, your odds of doing that aren't really good. But now if you trade Thaddeus Young, your odds of not making the playoffs, and it may be dipping down, as I said earlier with my 
beginning of this, we're two games away from having the fourth worst record in the NBA. If you were that team, now all of a sudden you have a great chance to draft a real legit star next to Zach Levine and actually build something. But Zach Levine has played next to young stars. He's played next to Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, who is supposed to be a superstar, and not seen anything happen. Like, that's not going to be a plan you can sell Zach on, even if it would work. Even if it would work, you're not going to sell Zach Levine on that plan. You're going to piss him off. And so if you trade Thad Young, it might be the right thing to do, and it might work out. Maybe Zach will be pissed, but by one year in, you know, everything will turn out. But say you draft this guy and he's not a star right off the bat, then Zach's like, F it, I'm out. Because he's an unrestricted free agent after next year. You could offer him the max and he can just say, you know what, nah, I'm going to go somewhere else. And we've seen a lot of guys do that. And, you know, when there's, it's going to be like $150 million with one team or 190 with the Bulls. But, you know, of that extra $40 million, he'll be eligible to get that on a contract afterwards anyway. It's really just an extra year. It's not like they're paying him more per year. And Zach's already got over $100 million in the bank. So what does he care? You know, like, yeah, I think, I think he just leaves and goes to a good team. And so that's, that's really what you have to navigate there. And when you start navigating it, and when you listen to everything you've heard this team say, you feel like this is a team that's going to chase the playoffs. And, and they feel like they have a good chance, right? Like, they've won four of their last six, and they've beaten every team that you felt was winnable. They lost a close game to the 76ers, who are the best team in the East, and then they lost to the Clippers in and, and a not-so-close game. So, you know, you really feel like this is a team that's yeah, maybe they're starting to beat a lot of these teams they should beat, and, and they have a really good chance of, of making the playoffs. And if, if you do, you know, I think that's something that Zach would really appreciate and helps you sign him in the offseason. And if you lose Zach Levine, I, I feel like you might as well start rebuilding for the next two, three years. Like, and, and you're like three years away from anything. And I'm not so high on where I think the future of Zach Levine can go, but Man, I don't know if you really want to watch three more years of just, just utter crap. You know, it's really tough to get star players. And Zach Levine is a star player. He's continuing to get better. He's young enough that he can still get you know, a decent amount better. Like, I, I think you got to roll there. And so what happens, though, now the interesting thing about this is even though it might be the right move, even though it might be the right move to keep Thad Young, you might go a full year and not do a damn thing if you're Carter Chauvis. Not do a damn thing. Use your pick on the draft on a guy people generally weren't real high on and draft, uh, assign a one-year veteran to a $5 million deal and keep Denzel Valentine on the qualifying offers over Chris Dodd and Jack Harrison, which turned out to be, I think, probably the right move. You know, I mean, granted, you know, whatever, butterfly wings tough. If, if Dunn was here, maybe he wouldn't have gotten injured and maybe he'd be playing and maybe he'd be better than Valentine. And yeah, so anyway, who knows? Uh, but, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. So it, it's it's been kind of a... A weird ride in that sense. You know, look, we, this might be a team that, that really just kind of stands pat. And if it does, what does that make you feel about Karnas Jovitz and Eversley? You know, a lot of the times people complain about the Bulls' lack of moves or doing this or that or whatever. When I sat down and thought about it with Foreman and Paxson, I thought, like, yeah, it kind of makes sense, though. Like, I get where they're coming from. I get why they're doing this. I kind of agree with this. And I sort of would agree with what Karnas Jovitz is doing here, too, but it would be the same thing, this fear of pulling the trigger. So we'll see what, we'll see what happens. We'll see what goes down uh, in the future for the Chicago Bulls as they you know, kind of chase off the uh, rest of this year and, and see if they can make the playoffs. Anyway, that'll do it for this edition of the Bulls Week. I'll talk to you guys next week.